Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask, what moves us? Or more accurately, what's going to move us in future? With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson, we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Oh, hi, I'm Deb and I'm here with the Rail Innovation Group woo-hoo, to do another podcast. And I'm Liam. And I'm Joanna. In Scotland. Well, Deb's on Jolly. She's a, she's, where are you, Deb? I'm in Portugal at the moment. I am, I'm working from Portugal. (laughs) And it's very nice. And good Wi Fi so far, such wood, so that's all right. And almost as sunny as the Highlands. It's lovely and sunny, yes. It's quite warm and sunny here. It's been like that since I got here. It's been about 20, it's quite cold at night, but it's about 22 degrees in the day, sunny. And Very have nice. you used any public transport while you've been there? No, because there is none where I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and get a train to somewhere near here from Lisbon and my friend said, I wouldn't bother, we'll come and pick you up in the car. And I have looked at all the bus stops, but I've never seen a bus in this village. <laughs> <laughs> there are bus stops, but I've never, I'm yet to see a bu- an actual bus. So, yeah, I don't think Portugal is very well known for its rail, I have to say. I think, though, it does have a good rail service. I think it does, I, but I think it's quite limited. I think it's fairly yeah, limited, one strip what I understand. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a lot to do with the, 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 the sort of geography, the geology of the place, because it is quite uh, mountain. Well, not exactly mountainous. I don't know what the definition of a mountain is, but it's quite uh, the, the terrain is quite challenging, I would imagine. And also it's very underpopulated Portugal apart from around the edges you know well that was what I was thinking is it it's featured around sort of like its populations because I don't you know it you'd probably call it I mean like although it's not a complete intercity network you would you would call it an intercity network even though some of the services would reflect a regional style service so I'd sort of like you know think of it sort of like almost a bit like a mixture of some intercity along the coasts coasts and some of it a bit sort of like almost like a southwest trains type operation you know where it's serving some um smaller re- regional areas but as as i recall when i when i lived there in the 90s it was uh, quite quite efficient and um quite cheap but um they yeah. they made announcements for expanding their network and they're um they're building a, a high speed network between porto and lisbon aren't they yeah, I think so. I think they are expanding bits bits of it. And like I say, I think, to be honest, it, see, it, it strikes me it's more of a sort of country where you would need, where you'd need an inter, inter-urban buses would probably be the answer here, not building loads more rail in, in those in those kind of areas. And as I say, I haven't seen any buses as yet. So there's quite, you know, people do tend to drive, but it doesn't, you know, like I say, it's, they're quite sparsely populated, or you know, once you come inland. So, um yeah well good top good topic to be talking about abroad because some things we want to talk about today were about our year ahead which includes us going to quite a few conferences around europe to talk about various aspects of transport so just the three things that i'm going to mention which we can talk about which i have been asked to focus on this year which is using data for climate resilience number one mm-hmm. two is creating data from current operations I assume that's to do with the marketplace. Number three is accessing overseas opportunities because surprise, surprise, some people are struggling to 
uh, thrive in the Great British rail market, but are having much more success abroad, and so they're focusing their activities abroad. Mm, that's interesting. That third one, have you got any kind of, um, have you got any more detailed insight into that? Um, I don't, because you've yet to do that as one of your initiatives as head of the initiative. Oh, very funny. Well, I was going to say, well, I, well, I think anecdotally, <laughs> you know, whilst we haven't done a data collection, we know, I mean, we know a lot of our members have been doing, you know, work, abro work abroad. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, obviously, Liam, you've done work abroad in, in the last um, 18 months because you were supporting um, one of our members in there um, working for the Qatar World Cup. Yes. And actually, I did another project just for Christmas in Oman. And so. I would say, in, t in terms of rail work, I don't think I've done anything in the UK for two years. And you've been talking yeah. about the Middle East as well. You've been doing work in the Middle East. Oh, I've been doing a lot of work in the Middle East. So it must be just you, Deb, working, doing lots of work in the UK because of your support with high-speed rail. Yes, and obviously that's a, that's an interesting one. We've given the government's decision um, in October because it, you know, I've been talking to lots of uh, lots of uh, you know people that work in uh, construction and infrastructure for, on HS two and you know companies that would have been expecting to expand out into phase two A, phase two B of that project and beyond, you know, because that was always going to be the Y network that was going to then create opportunities for good connections into Scotland, into Wales, into, you know, potentially the Southwest. And it's that's all been sort of thrown into somewhat disarray, really. Um so I suppose everyone's been sort of desperately trying to work through what the government's new plan is, um, which was obviously the network north star. And then seeing where there might be opportunities in that, which has been quite difficult because it's such a it's such a sort of bodged together plan, really. That it's was it took about a month for the government to actually weed out the things that they realised they'd already built and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I won't rerun that old argument, but you know, it is a bit of a challenge. I saw that, you know, um the Rail Freight Group uh did an article in um was it Rail Magazine? I can't remember. I think it was Rail Magazine yesterday. Just talking about, you know, where are the opportunities for freight going to be, given that, you know, one of the biggest um, reasons, the you know, firmly in the business case for building more high speed, such as high speed two, is to get more freight opportunities. Mm. And obviously the, her members, Maggie uh, Smith's members, are extremely concerned about the fact that sort of early analysis shows that network north, doesn't look like it's really going to provide those kind of opportunities, you know. Um, well, I, mean, I well, think, I, I think okay. and you'll you'll know more about this, Deb, because I, I think, you know, the, the whole point about, you know, going overseas is that there's quite a really, I mean, there's, you know, within that decision and also people going overseas is there's some quite serious issues at, at play there um, because, you know, on the one hand, you know, one of the things that as people who supply into rail industry whether you're a startup an SME or you know or a tier one supplier is that everyone's always talking about the security of the, the pipeline mm -hmm. and if everybody's starting to look abroad because we you know because of the uncertainty and cancellation in in 
projects in in the UK, then that's going to make it more expensive and difficult to ramp up if we get a different colour or a different, you know, different policy in the next government who, who, like the rest of the world, sees that rail is the future, you know, that it's not just about cars. But I think, as I say, you'll know more about this, this Debs, about the, the decision on HS2, about actually, you know, and this brings it back to, you know, Liam's focus on climate resilience is that by not building phase two, we're actually losing some of our climate resilience by not upgrading our and building a new network well we're losing that we're losing capacity because obviously that was the main reason that hs2 was being built was to to uh increase capacity on the network um so that's that's kind of gone and that give that then was going to release you know uh, freight freight paths and as that article that I referred to, you know, mentioned, there's no kind of clear indication of where that's going to come from. So it feels like there's a real kind of, I think there's a sense now of uh, within the rail industry, I get the sense that people are kind of, I think people have felt really, really deflated and upset and angry about some of the government's decisions. And I don't, you know, I don't want to get into, I'm not getting into the politics here, but I'm just, you know, some of those decisions are not, particularly strategic decisions and where you know where of course you know costs are really important and it's really you know we're in a really difficult environment at the moment you know treasury is the what is the government department that sort of has the kind of final say in all of this in all of this it's kind difficult. of spend decisions and it is difficult but you know it's really incumbent on us to to make to keep making the case for rail in this country because i think we're in danger otherwise of just like you know losing our grip on an industry that's always been and that that then is removing the confidence within the industry to go out and sell their wares elsewhere because let's face it at the moment we're not we're not looking great from an outsider looking in are we as an industry that can't even build our own piece of high speed relatively small piece of high speed i have a question for liam based on the decisions are being made do you think data is being used effectively to make these decisions? Uh, no, because I don't think data... Sorry, clarify that. Data, which I mean, which is data that's being generated from the current network and stuff. No, I don't think it is. Evidence, that would be a dead question, but I'm not entirely sure some of the decisions are being made evidence-based. Well, no, I don't think they're being. I don't. I certainly don't think that the that the decision to, to curtail HS two was an evidence based decision. Really, I mean, it was it was a decision that was allegedly based on the, the spiralling costs. But let's, you know, again, I don't want to rerun old arguments. But the costs were the government were controlling the costs. They're in charge of the project, and it's the flip flopping around and de changing scope over the last sort of five or six years of that project that has, that has contributed significantly to the costs of the project. But I do think there's other issues here, like you know we've been looking at things like the Green Book, which was you know obviously helps sort of make the case for for for, for rail um, and other infrastructure. And I think you know there's a real I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of arguments to say that we should be looking at things very differently, um, mm. because I think you know if you think about climate, climate resilience, the importance of, of building climate resilient infrastructure and all of that. Um, if you look at the importance of getting people out of their cars where possible and getting you know investing in a more kind of 
um, a, a better connected public public sector transport system, you know, then the then the, the kind of equations that are used in the green book, for example, are not particularly helpful. It's like you know, basing basing something on pa existing passenger numbers, for example is not very useful if you want to encourage people onto rail then you've got to obviously build it get people on there for example you know so i think that the whole investment argument needs to be flipped around to talk about the environmental social benefits of having a well-connected not just rail but well-connected transport which well, includes I, rail yeah and it's not just for the climate resilience piece it's we've i've had people come to us for anecdotes or insight into this and it is also the fact that the network is getting less reliable because over the last two weeks there's been all those storms and so the solution seems to be just stop all operations which i don't think you're going to be able to do if we're having these storms more intensively and in years um but what data can we use to either predict the impact or fix the bits that are going to be most affected because i think yeah. we're just assuming that all of the land's going to landslip and all well, also to risk you know to risk assess if you use data to look at i don't know for example vulnerable areas that are vulnerable to flooding landslides extreme temperatures all that sort of thing which all has an impact then obviously you can you can prioritize bits of you know you can prioritize where you upgrade you can prioritize where you change sort of critical bits of the railway or what have you based on sort of risk severity you know, you can use all that predictive analysis, which is stuff that our good friends at One Big Circle, give them a shout out, you know, that all of that stuff, you know, net, networks of sensors that monitor environmental conditions, you know, collecting all that real-time data, all of that sort of thing is all, it's all part of the, you know, it's all part of the picture, isn't it? Using machine learning algorithms to identify patterns rah 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 i mean i'm not as you can probably tell i'm not an expert but i you know yes it can and i think out there i think the important thing is to say this is not just for rail it is large parts of the country were cut off entirely during the last yeah. few floodings yeah uh, the roads were cut off as well as the railways so we can't just have situations where whole towns and villages are just cut off every time it rains and but we need to use i would kind of caveat that a bit as well is because because yeah and this is this is where I, I think you know I I would like to learn more and you know particularly if, if anybody's listening to this and would like to come and and do a podcast on this because I think Scotland from a transport point of view is probably a lot more resilient than maybe England is and you and this is this is the wrong thing to say on a, on a on a rail podcast, but Bear Scotland are very good at keeping the roads open, and I'd be you know, and I really would be interested to learn you know what you know if any of that learning could could be brought to rail, and I know roads are a lot simpler, but you know they've they've had experiences where roads have you know with all the the weather the rain you know they've just disappeared and they've had to rebuild them they've done that you know really really quickly you know they've kept things moving on I mean, like gristers are going all the time because obviously we get you know we get frost as well so you know so this year we've had floods we've had you know we've had lots of rain we've had high winds you know we've had you know um 
um, snow, ice, you know, everything has been thrown, you know, sort of like, you know, at, at the highlands. But I think the road hit by me, the A9, you know, has been closed twice. You know, once because, you know, at the highest point, you know, where, you know, where there was a, an unexpected, the, the snow came in too quickly, basically. You know, so it was closed overnight, you know, and loads of cars got trapped. And then there was, because of the rain, it was flooded quite close to me. But it was only closed for about 10 hours or something, you know. So, so but in comparison, you know, I've not counted the days, but the railway line here has been closed at, at least in double figures in the same period, mm -hmm. you know, and some of that has been, you know, as your, you know, your point, you know, about, you know, the decision is made just to close it. And I think, you know, for Scott Rail to do that, it's quite an easy decision to do, you know, because they can, you know, because they have the flexibility of, of ramping the services up and down. But what that actually does mean is that we lose our um, direct service to London you know or to or to other places and and that's quite serious in some ways because um you don't just lose it for one day when they cancel it you actually lose it for three days you lose it either side because you lose it going north you know um the day before and then you lose it going south the day after so it's not just a one day cancellation if they decide to close the route down so sometimes you know and then obviously strikes are another thing but you know sometimes you can go a week without a direct london service but the yeah. Caledonian sleeper don't seem to have the same issues. I would say also that I think you were talking about the Green Book earlier. Um, other things will be affected by climate change in the future as well, particularly people's tolerance to stand on platforms. If it's going to be raining more, then mm -hmm. people... Um, active travel, again, if we're having more winter storms, then we have to assume that it's more difficult to get people cycling in winter. And it kind of, all this climate stuff just pushes people more towards cars. Warm, cosy cars. Yeah. Well, but it is yeah. the reliability as well. Yeah. You know, isn't it? It is the reliability. And if you talk, I mean, you know, if, I think we, we seem to have got into this really horrible situation in the UK where everyone just sort of thinks the railways are a bit of a joke. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, just use, use the trains as a last resort. They probably won't be running, but ha, oh, ha, ha, you know. I know that's a bit of a simplification, but you know, we've had a lot, there's been a lot of problems yes. on the railways, you know, the strikes haven't helped. Um, and, you know, I think people's kind of generally people's sort of perceptions of the railway are pretty kind of pretty bad, really. And to be honest, I think people working in the industry's perceptions are pretty bad as well, not helped by the government, you know, doing things like, you know, cancelling one of the biggest projects that rail has. Um, I think I think that comes back to your earlier point, though, though, Deb, about, you know, saying that it's hurt, it's hit people. And I think, you know, it's demotivating, isn't it, to see an industry that we've all, you know, we've all put, you know, sort of like a lot of effort and hard work into because we believe in it and we believe in public transport and infrastructure to, to, to you know, to move people around and, you know, and the fact that it is an enabler. And, yeah, it, it does feel like a bit of a kick in the teeth, doesn't it? Well, it does, really. And I think it's it's extremely unhelpful to pit, which, you know, I mean, again, I know I seem to be constantly slating the government, apologies, but... You know, to, it feels a bit like, you know, the latest decision on HS2 has really pitted the kind of, it's obviously a politic, again, being moved into the political sphere, you know, pitting roads against rail, 
which again I think is really really unhelpful because you know let's be honest in a in a we're we're a sophisticated developed country in the UK we're despite what the government are telling us about you know our dire economic sort of state we are a wealthy country so for us to be told basically that we can either either have roads that haven't got loads of potholes in or decent railway seems to me to be an absolute, yeah, and that, that's absolute in, disgrace really that's, because that's interesting it, it, you know it shouldn't be an either or and i and i and, and, and i speak as somebody that is obviously a, a, a passionate believer in rail but um, equally you know i own a car i use my car why should I expect to be driving around on roads that have got massive great potholes and are almost undrivable? I don't want that either. I want to be able to use my car sometimes when I need to. And I want to be able to get on a really good rail network when I want to and when I need to. And that, you know, I don't, I think it's so unhelpful to be politically pitting those two, you know, those two parts of the transport system against each well other. Well, I think that really gets to the heart of the problem, though, isn't it? That it is that it is there's too much politics in transport, and really these should be about pure economic decisions about enabling people to, you know, to have choice to to be able to get to work, to access, you know, hospitals, you know, you know, work, what whatever it is in the right method of transport. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look at the numbers for leisure travel that have gone up, you know, particularly since COVID. I mean, they're going up before COVID, but, you know, now they've kind of jumped again, really. You know, people do still want to use the railways. I mean, it might just be because, as somebody said to me the other day, because we're all a bunch of, we all love a drink in the UK. So we like to get out and be able to get on the railway to have a, have a drink. Well, whatever, you know, but the fact that leisure travel is going up is it can only be a positive, surely, and we need to kind of hang on to that. And But I think that's interesting about the leisure, though, isn't it? Because I, I was reading something this morning about trends in 2024, and I think there is a trend that is the, the Taylor Swift effect, isn't it? That people travel, you know, because they're doing leisure or, or, or something, you know, they, they're going to a sporting event or they're going to a concert, and people are increasingly um going longer distance to do to do that so um so you don't necessarily go to the place where your local is you're sort of like turning it into a whole sort of like experience so you might go to the concert but you might actually visit visit the city and you know and do other other leisure activities at the same time and that's part of part of the the trend and that's you know and yeah. rail should be capitalizing from that really shouldn't we yeah 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 absolutely absolutely we should yeah. So it's that type of that's and that's those that type of data trends as well that we should be looking at as though you know not just about you know what's happening in rail but also about what other things influence our reasons for travel. Yes. So are those data sets that we need to be uh, encouraging people to promote to provide them? Yeah, they are. Is it for people to provide them, or is it for? rail to seek you know rail to seek them out or even you know government officials to seek them out to make the case for rail well it surely needs to be part of the of the thinking when you're making a business case for a new service new line whatever it might be i mean i remember looking at uh some work i did to it for green gauge 21 ages and ages ago like looking at the case for uh re reinstating that railway between um am i going to get it right Ex exeter and oakhampton um, yeah. And if you look at some of the social issues around that, that that area, for example, you know, there's a lot of um 
there's a lot of looks after children in that area. There's a lot of children that are not in education, what they call needs, not in education or employment. Um, there's quite deprived areas, basically, along that route, um, interestingly, because everyone thinks of the southwest as being sort of wealth, a wealthy sort of place. Um, and, you know, there was we looked at loads of evidence around things like why young people weren't taking up training opportunities who weren't in work or in education. And then mostly it was because they couldn't get anywhere. You know, yeah. they were being offered training places to go and do some training and they physically just couldn't get to those places because there's no decent transport or not decent there's no transport um, now that reminds older me. people you know because of the way the hospitals are you know they couldn't get to appointments blah 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 so there's all those kind of social aspects to, to having good transport links that need to be brought into the arguments for making the case i think that aren't as far as i can see at the moment that reminds me of an interesting um, report that um, Transport for North brought out yesterday, which is um, about um, the um, social exclusion in North of England. But I think what's quite interesting about this report is, you know, you know it comes to you know, your point of that is that some of the, the biggest deprivation and, you know, and poorest transport links are, are in coastal towns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting report, Liam. I'm just going to pop it in the chat. So, like, when you send things out, you can you can link to us if you like. Yes, thanks. We'll do. I should say there we just had an impromptu tour of your house as well earlier. You walked around. The oh, it was because um, I was um, as as you know, I have cats, and um, they were invading the space. <laughs> <laughs> so I was chucking them out. <laughs> So, also, just before we sum up, is uh, for the year ahead, we have three events already booked in. Uh, 13th of March in London, 16th of April in London, and the 6th of June is going to be our summer barbecue in Bristol. So, Ooh. look on to those and we'll see you there. And then we're at uh, various conferences which will be advertised as they come along. Um, but yes, that's generally what we're going to be talking about, is using data Data, 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 and abroad. 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 Uh, and we should do a little shout out to say that the Rail Innovation Group is always looking for new members. So if you're interested in finding out more, then look on our website. And you get it's to talk to pinch. And you what? And you get to talk to us more. Exactly. I mean, what could be better for you? When you come back. When are you coming back from Portugal? Uh, next week. Oh, okay. Good. Yes. Missed you. Ah, yeah. So I'm back next week. We're doing a we're doing an apprentice event up in Crew, so I've got to be back for that. That's on uh, Tuesday, I think. So I'm back mo uh, Monday next Monday evening, and then right. I'm headed straight up to Crew for. Uh, it's a women female women only um, event. This one it's for our high speed apprentices who wanted to an event that was just with uh, female apprentices and female senior people in the industry to kind of come together and do oh, that's interesting professional networking so yeah it's been really it's, we've had such a great response it's, we've had to close the close the uh the registration because we've just oversubscribed now really so um yeah we've got some really good um west coast partnership are host um supporting it shamit geiger's coming along to do some mentoring and Alstom are hosting us at their factory up in Crew. We've got lots of senior women from right across construction and um, uh, rail coming to sort of have informal mentoring sessions with 
we've got about 30 female apprentices from again right across different companies different roles so it's really yeah really good really looking forward to it actually it's the first one of these kind of things that we've done but we felt that despite you know not, i mean obviously it's not an inclusive event because it is just for women but we felt you know we could make the case for it because there are you know most of the yeah people that are early in their careers in rail and infrastructure that are women are, quite, are often sort of uh in the in the minority um at whatever professional events and things that they go to and they all find that quite challenging i think sometimes as young women so um we thought it we could make the case for having it as a kind of female only space is that is 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 that why um they asked for it to be that's why they asked you know, for it because they, particularly because they find it. yeah i think that's yeah. really interesting yeah they felt that it would build their confidence and they wanted to hear from senior women about what how they had experienced the industry when they were kind of starting out and all of those kind of things and they felt that they would be more comfortable in an environment where it was just women which um i think, think it'd be interesting to do a podcast on sort of like just that as a theme yeah 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 you know, yeah once once you've had your event and how you know and maybe how that makes you know a different event a different style event you know different feel about it yeah it will be a very different event it will be the first event i've ever been to that's a rail event that has got no men in it that's for sure <laughs> uh not that i'm being anti-man of course i am not um but you know we all know we've all worked in rail for a long time and we all know that it's a very kind of male dominated uh industry not as much as it used to be it's obviously improving all the time but still it is so the more we can do to encourage women to kind of not just come into the industry but move up in the industry which i think is probably where more of a more of an issue um so uh that's the, one of the some of the stuff that we'll be exploring with the with the senior women that we've got coming along so yeah it's good looking right. forward to it well let us know next time i will report back Ooh. thanks guys thanks good see you later bye see you bye thanks for listening to another episode of what moves us we hope we moved you for more episodes you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel until next time <laughs>